folks, welcome back to Dub After. This is Chris once again. Welcome back. Today is uh, Thursday, the 17th of June, 2021, here on Chris White Africa, part of the Indaba Broadcasting Network. Pleasure to have you back with us today. Welcome once again. See some faces I see here infrequently of late. Good to see you once again. And yes, the chat is on and I'm about to suspend it. So <laughs> if that upsets people's sensibilities, then we'll catch you later. But thank you for tuning in. I do need to stop the chat for a moment so we can focus on the headlines for today. Well, let's get right to the news today, the 17th of June, 2021, here on Indaba Africa News Today. Folks, a methane leak near Johannesburg is raising alarms. Apparently, some people are shocked to discover that methane leaks out of coal mines. Can you imagine that? Rubes. President Cyril Ramaphosa thinks the answer to South Africa's recovery are the unemployed, uneducated, unskilled, inexperienced youth of South Africa. Tech leaders are abandoning South Africa in droves. South Africa's citrus exports are headed for a record year and a bit of good news for South Africa's economy. Namibia, Namibians have welcomed the U.S. travel bans on those uh, two former ministers from SWAPO who are part of or embroiled in the fish rot scandal. Namibians welcoming that decision by the U.S. government. Botswana's 1,098, or Debswana's 1,098 carat, the third largest diamond ever found, is making a big splash, hitting the news around the world now, including the BBC. Kijera Lodge in the Okavango, in case you need a break. We'll talk about Kijera Lodge here shortly in the world-renowned and bucket list location of the Okavango Delta. And Harari releases a local journalist who worked for the New York Times arrested for supposedly facilitating the unlawful entry of New York Times journalists into the country in a state where suppression of free press is a daily occurrence. Finance Minister Mutuli Nkube of Zimbabwe on paying Zim farmers. And land thief Bona Mugabe wants her land back. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? The thieves are stolen from themselves. Former Zambian President Kenneth Kwanda remains in hospital. The 97-year-old is in ill condition at this date. The United States has suspended military support for Mali after its latest coup, falling in line with the French, who are ceasing all military cooperation, raising questions about what's going to happen now in a country under siege by Islamist MTN, the South African mobile carrier, which is the largest operator in the Nigerian market, warns that insecurity in Nigeria is going to lead to service disruptions. Hardly a surprise. And the United States women's soccer team defeated Nigeria two to nothing. Corrupt World Health Organization boss has begged the United States for 30 million doses of vaccine for Southern African countries. Please, sir, more soup. The fact that you pay 40% of our budget isn't enough. Please, sir, more soup. And China sends three astronauts to its Tiane um, module up in space, its, its space station, not international, but Chinese space station. Three astronauts launched into space. Here in the United States, the captured Supreme Court dismissed a case regarding the American, the Affordable Care Act, or as I prefer to call it, the Unaffordable Care Act, the unconstitutional, un-American uh, piece of disgusting legislation that deprived over 20 million working Americans of health insurance while slapping 13 million people who don't pay on the rolls at our expense. Those are the headlines, folks, now for in-depth news and analysis on these events from today, the 17th of June, 2021. Let's get right to it. A large methane leak outside Johannesburg seems to have shocked the uninformed, the sheep. <laughs> Do not understand how things work. 
So let's school you with a little bit of science here, you unknowing leftists who are confused. You know, they run this in the news as if it's a breaking story or news that, oh my goodness, that if you have a coal mine, methane could come out of it. Well, duh, anyone that's ever worked with coal or knows anything about geology knows that methane typically rests on top or intertwined with coal deposits. Hardly a surprise. Large methane leak detected east of Joburg raises pollution concerns. A cloud of methane was detected by satellite near coal mines in South Africa. <gasps> oh! Drawing attention to a lesser-known environmental risk that comes from using the dirtiest fossil fuel. Ah, you see, and there it is. And this is from Bloomberg, the fake news outlet, the, the, the news outlet that has done all that it can to disabuse itself of pretending to be a business magazine. It no longer is that, not a business news service, but simply a leftist propaganda outlet. The dirtiest fossil fuel. Well, the potent greenhouse gas, methane traps 84 more times more heat than carbon dioxide in its first two decades in the atmosphere. 65 metric tons an hour on May 10th, according to Cairo SAS. The Paris-based analytics company found a leak by parsing European Space Agency satellite observations. It was the worst plume of methane Karas detected in the data over Africa this year. The cloud was spotted about 120 kilometers, 125 kilometers east of Johannesburg, an area where Sassol has several coal mines as well as chemical and fuel operations. Ah, so now uh, Sassol must fall, I'm sure, no doubt, eliminating jobs with it and energy production in South Africa. Here's a news flash for you. In case you don't know this leftist, methane is a naturally occurring gas from decomposition. And it is found in association frequently with coal deposits. It's not unusual for coal mines to have methane. This is why we put canaries down there because it blankets all the oxygen out and miners could die. The old canary in the cave, it's because of methane. <gasps> Ooh, that made into the English language, that expression, because of methane. Wow, imagine that. So for the unknowing, ill-informed leftists, this is not unusual. What would be helpful, though, is for these coal companies to try to capture the methane and burn it. That would be much more useful than simply letting it leak out of the mines. That would be a fair topic. That would be a newsworthy story. President Cyril Ramaphosa seems to think that the unemployed, the uneducated, the inexperienced, and the youthful... South Africans are the answer to the recovery. How? What are you going to do? Put them all out with pickaxes and digging up roads and picking up rubbish on the roads? Is that going to make your recovery come back? How about mining? How about high tech? How about industrial production? Agricultural production? Yeah, all the things that you're undermining with your government. Ramaphosa says that his administration is to launch yet another initiative, the National Pathway Management Network to support young people. Another ANC program destined to fail. The National Pathway Management Network. Instead of coming up with new programs, how about you eliminate or repair the ones you already have? Cyril Ramaphosa. South Africa's inability to overturn the adverse socioeconomic conditions of young people and their exclusion from the economy has continued to undermine efforts to grow the country's economy. Yeah, well, you think it might have a lot to do with the bend to education the ANC has delivered? It probably has a lot to do with this. Now, Ramaphosa, who spoke in Peter Moritzburg on Wednesday, which, by the way, after five hours of posting on the South African Broadcasting Corporation's YouTube channel, had a grand total of 545 views. So you can see how many people want to listen to this guy. 545 views for the head of state after five hours online. It's almost as bad a performance as Joe Biden's videos on YouTube. He was speaking Peter Moritzburg on the anniversary, the 45th anniversary of the June 16th Soweto uprising. Nearly 64% of our young people are unemployed and this is something no country can afford. Young people are the momentum that drive a country and grow its economy. Young people are a source of innovation and new ideas because they have the energy and the talent. <laughs> Sounds to me like Sarah Ramposa is a bit guilty of ageism. 
ageism. Lots of older people are driving the economy and come up with ideas and have the resources and experience and the judgment. It's not simply the youth. This tired old narrative of politicians who use this excuse all the time, youth, youth, youth. If you cared so much about the youth, you'd end your racial preference policies and your racial exclusion, which would free the economy. And you would stop your nonsensical lockdown measures, which have nothing to do with any pandemic and everything to do with your political control and intentional destruction of the economy. That would do it. Speaking of intentional destruction of the economy and talent leaving South Africa, tech titans and tech leaders are bailing on South Africa. Tech execs leave South African land, top jobs overseas. Many prominent South African information technology and telecommunications CEOs have left South Africa are now in top positions internationally. Skilled professionals have been leaving South Africa for years in search of more secure life in Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom, United States, and Canada. But immigration is particularly, emigration is particularly prevalent among high-income professionals. In 2019, it's estimated at least 400,000 high-income professionals have left South Africa. Now, let me ask you this question. Sierra Ramaphosa, how exactly do you propose to make up for that shortfall of human capital which you've chased away from South Africa, either because people are subject to gang rape, murders, home invasions, theft of property, capricious governance, or racial exclusion? And by the way, that all applies to black, white, and colored South Africans if you presume that I'm speaking only of white South Africans because the gentleman in the photograph happens to be white. I'm talking about all South Africans of all ethnicities have fled the disaster, the dumpster fire that is South Africa. The 2021 African Wealth Report, which was produced by AfAsia Bank in collaboration with the New World Wealth, reveals a similar trend among South Africa's ultra-rich. There are $36,500 millionaires, not rand millionaires, dollar millionaires, whose net worth of $1 million or more living in South Africa. That's down nearly 2,000 from last year. 2,000 millionaires have fled South Africa in the past year. It's estimated that 4,200 have left in the past decade, 1,900 in the last year alone. Most of them settled in the United Kingdom, Australia, or the USA. So your loss is our gain, and your fantasy and fiction of promoting youth as the answer to your economic recovery is just delusional, Cyril Ramaphosa. Sorry, you need better advisors, my friend. Some good news in crazy cuckoo land south of South Africa, and that's that South Africa's citrus exports are set to reach a record this year. Congratulations to South Africa's citrus growers. Awesome that you get this out before the land theft bill is approved in the Constitution's Amendment so they can steal your land from you. Well done, commercial farmers. Agricultural rebound, South Africa's citrus exports headed for a record year, according to Ed Stoddard in The Business Maverick. South Africa's citrus industry, which looks to export a record 160 million cartons this season, has its first shipment of produce headed to the Philippines. Commodity exports, grown or mined, are leading the economic recovery. <laughs> Not much of a recovery, to be honest. While export volumes will probably be modest as we test the market and develop the demand for South African citrus, the goal is to build up to 20,000 tons of exports to the Philippines. This will secure much-needed jobs in South Africa and lead to additional foreign exchange earnings. Modest for the Philippines exports, but total exports are headed for a record took over a decade of laborious technical engagements before South Africa could start exporting citrus to the Philippines. How can it be so difficult to hawk fruit? Well, it can be. Lots of agriculture issues. Try exporting fruit to New Zealand and you'll see just how difficult exporting agricultural products can be. New Zealand is absolutely obsessed with protecting their environment, which is comical since first the Maori, then the Europeans utterly destroyed their environment, wiping out bird species and indigenous fauna and flora in masses. In Namibia, Namibians, according to the Namibian newspaper, are happy with the decision by the U.S. State Department to ban entry into the United States to two implicated SWAPO ministers in the fish rot scheme. 
Civil society organization has applauded the United States' decision to ban former Minister of Fisheries and Marine Resources Bernard Assau and former Minister of Justice Saki Shanghala from entering the country. The ban was announced by the State Department in a media release yesterday. The media release said that two former ministers were involved in corrupt acts that undermined the rule of law and the Namibian public's faith in their government's democratic institutions and public processes, including using their political influence and official power for their personal benefit. Well, I agree. But if we were to take that standard and take people accused of crimes, then I guess we'd have to ask the President Joe Biden to simply leave America and go reside in the Ukraine, right? <laughs> I have no objection to people convicted of crimes uh, or who have been proven to be complicit in crimes to be banned entry into the United States. But this is supposition. Uh, yeah, they both were, but they've not been convicted to my knowledge. So interesting that the Namibian society is happy to see an accused person denied something. How about a convicted person? That's where I'm at. Meanwhile, Deb Swana's 1,098-carat diamond, the third largest diamond after the Cullinan diamond from near Pretoria back in 1905 and the uh, uh, La Cide Llorona uh, diamond in Botswana in 2015. This is the third largest diamond and the largest gemstone ever recovered by the Deb Swana Consortium, which is a combination of De Beers and the government of Botswana, Deb Swana. And this organization this is the largest diamond they've ever recovered, 1,098. It's making splash all over the world. Here's a story in the Daily Maverick. Botswana unearths the world's third largest diamond, reported to you right here yesterday, the 16th of June, on Chris White Africa. And this article is also from the 16th. And so the stone was presented to President Masisi on Wednesday by Deb Swana, acting managing director Lyndon Armstrong. It's the third largest in the world after the 3,106-carat Cullinan stone in 1905 in South Africa, and the 1109 carat La Llorona. So there you have it. Just barely comes in as the third largest behind La Llorona. It's also made a splash in the United Kingdom. The story has been picked up by the UK as well. Huge gem is only slightly less heavy than the world's second largest diamond, which was found in Botswana in 2015. It's the largest diamond to be recovered by Debswan in its history of over 50 years of operations. From our preliminary analysis, it could be the world's third largest gemstone quality diamond. Debswana is a joint venture between the government and the global diamond giant De Beers, and up to 80% of the income from sales goes to state coffers through dividends, royalties, and taxes. Yet, Botswana politicians are forever complaining that it's unfair. Debswana, which includes De Beers, which has put its capital, its resources, its human capital for 50 plus years into Botswana, gets only 20% of the profit from its efforts. The government reaps the rest. Now, how is that fair? Fair to Botswana, except that's not fair either. If people own proper land tenure and own the resources under it, then there'd be some very wealthy Botswana, not simply a government getting all the revenue. But that's another story and I digress. Well, if you're looking for something to do, if you just need a break, ladies and gentlemen, why not head off to the world-class Okavango Delta? Been there myself many, many, many times. And I've had the great pleasure of having driven through it by 4x4. I've flown over it in a Huey helicopter for hours on end. And I've also flown into remote tourist sites inside the Okavango, which is what I'm going to present to you now by commercial aircraft. Land out there on a sod strip in the Okavango and then be driven off to your safari. And here we go. So let's talk about this one, folks, the Kijara. Kijara Lodge in the Okavango. This is by Luxury Travel Magazine. It's amazing that such an organization can exist in the age of Rona when so many have been unable to travel. But they're still there. Good luck. Congratulations to Luxury Travel Magazine. In the heart of Botswana's Okavango Delta, the Kijara is a safari lodge which reinvents what it means to experience the African bush through inspired hospitality and design. Having opened in January 2021, the Tolman family have handcrafted every aspect to beguile guests' senses and stir their souls. From the evocative interiors to one-of-a-kind encounters alongside some of the most spectacular 
even viewing in Botswana. Kijara elevates the guest experience by offering a range of extraordinary wildlife, cultural, culinary, and wellness experiences. From exploring the Delta on a glass-bottom canoe, ooh, that sounds interesting, to overnighting in a luxurious off-grid treehouse. These experiences have been designed to immerse guests in the wild wilderness and forge a close connection to the surrounding landscape. For those of you just rolling in the dough, I will make the link available to this so you can go check out this lodge and make book your trip to the Okavango Delta, folks. We'll get that out there for you so you can check out Kijara in the Okavango. If you've never been to the Okavango, you should go. There you have it. Story of remarkable renewal. Kijara is our love letter to the magic of the African bush. An absolutely amazing experience if you have the resources and the time. There you have it, folks. That is the Kijara Lodge, and I'll make that link available to folks. In Zimbabwe, Harare, the authorities have released a local journalist who they've detained for three weeks in prison over allegedly uh, facilitating the arrival of New York Times journalists into the country illegally. Of course, ZANU-PF doesn't want foreign journalists in the country because they might report on their malfeasance. After three weeks, the Voice of America reports that Zimbabwe prison authorities released New York Times freelancer Jeffrey Moyo on Wednesday, a day after the high court in Bulawayo granted him bail. Police arrested 37-year-old in May, alleging he helped two U.S. newspaper journalists enter illegally. Moyo's attorney, the world-renowned and recognized Doug Coltart, a Zimbabwe human rights lawyer, said Moyo should have been released today early, but prison officials noted a problem with the warrant of liberation. <laughs> It's a typical tactic which is used to extend the detention of prisoners after they've been granted bail, which is why the legal team specifically requested to see the warrant of liberation before leaving the magistrate's court, Coltart said. That request was denied, which is why when prison officials started claiming there was an error on, on it late last evening, the legal team requested to see the warrant of liberation. That request was again denied. Government officials are not immediately available for comment on the Moyo case. He was arrested on May 26, along with Zimbabwe Media Commission official Tabang Manhika for allegedly processing fake accreditations for two South African-based Times journalists who entered Zimbabwe last month and have since been deported. Western diplomats and national press freedom groups have voiced concerns about the arrest, as have I. This is capricious, unlawful, unconstitutional behavior on the part of Harari and ZANU-PF who don't want anyone looking under the hood. Don't look under our bonnet because we're up to no good. That is ZANU-PF. Meanwhile, Zimbabwe's finance minister has left the luxurious plush life of Switzerland to be the finance minister. And he's talking about paying Zim farmers. Zimbabwe's finance minister on paying farmers. Mtuli Nkube is determined to fix the country's economy. The mining sector, it seems, is central to his plans. When he took the position of Minister of Finance and Economic Development in Zimbabwe's post-coup government in September 2018, he was something of a political outsider. Far from the insider in ZANU-PF, the former African Development Bank deputy president was leading a quiet life in Switzerland, splitting his time between private sector and academic pursuits at Oxford when he got the call to join Manangagwa's government. Well, here's the thing about this. He's talking about paying farmers. Why is the government of Zimbabwe paying farmers? Because the corrupt, inept system that allows government officials to rent-seek and steal such as the Grain Marketing Board. Farmers are not allowed to conduct business. They must sell their products to the government. That speaks volumes, and that's all you need to know about the corruption in Zimbabwe. Meanwhile, speaking of corruption, land thief Bono Mugabe, the daughter of Robert Gabriel Mugabe, is demanding her land back. Her land. <laughs> land stolen and given to her. <laughs> Late former President Robert Mugabe's daughter, Bona, and her husband, Simbarashe Muchauni, have approached the high court challenging a statutory instrument which resulted in them losing part of their land. This was published in February last year by the lands minister announcing new maximum farm sizes allowed by law in Zimbabwe. The late P 
parents, Shiri, was lands minister at the time. Muchari is the first applicant, while Bone is the second applicant. They have an offer letter under Model 2, Alpha, Phase 2, in respect to subdivision coordinate. Oh, good. We're not going to read that. The couple was allocated a farm on June 22, 2017, by lands minister Douglas Mombushura, who was part of the late president's cabinet. The applicant has direct interest in the matter. The bottom line is that they were given land that they did not purchase by a corrupt government. And that corrupt government is taking it back. And they want it now. It's not a real country, folks. Zimbabwe is a kleptocracy run by venal, corrupt, murderous thugs. Not a real country. It's a disgrace. It's a shame because Zimbabwean people are wonderful people. Wonderful people. How long will the crocodile's corrupt, inept, repressive administration last? We will see. As I told people for 20 years, Robert Gabriel Mugabe was not the problem. He's a problem. He was a problem, but he wasn't the problem. The problem in Zimbabwe is the corrupt ZANU-PF system. ZANU must go. Hashtag ZANU must fall. There you go. You want to do hashtags? In Zambia, the country's founding president remains in hospital after several days. 97-year-old Kenneth Kawanda is in hospital. Folks are asking for prayers as he receives treatment for an undisclosed illness at a military hospital in Lusaka. The 97-year-old ruled Zambia from 1964 when it won its independence until 1991. He's among the continent's few surviving liberation, says heroes. I would say originators, not heroes. His administrative assistant, Roderick Ngolo, said in a statement of money that he had been feeling unwell and had been admitted to the Mina Soko Medical Center in Lusaka. His Excellency Dr. Kwanda is requesting all Zambians in the international community to pray for him. His medical team is doing everything to ensure he recovers. Calls for prayers. Meanwhile, President Edgar Lungu urged the nation to pray for the former president. May God touch him with his healing hand. He stood up for this great nation at its most critical moment, and so we can all stand up for him at his moment of weakness. Affectionately known as KK, Kwanda was head of the main nationalist party, the left of center United National Independence Party. He also became an AIDS campaigner, announcing publicly one of his sons had died from the illness. Nicknamed Africa's Gandhi for his nonviolent independence-related activism in the 60s, he charmed mourners at Nelson Mandela's burial back in 2013. Kenneth Kwanda in hospital in Zambia, 97 years of age, folks. If you want to send your prayers out to him, he's one of the few liberation-era names that's still out there. The rest have all moved on, all moved on. The United States has suspended military assistance to Mali. This is a report from the Africa Report in an interview with the Deputy for Civil Military Affairs at U.S. Africa Command. We do not want to work with military forces that have committed human rights abuses. Well, if only we were consistent in that approach in our history in the United States. I can give you a list of countries that commit human rights abuses and we work with them, starting with South Africa. Yikes. The cell is once again under spotlight following rising Islamist attacks in Burkina Faso. Andrew Young, a deputy to the commander for civil military engagement in the United States Africa Command since July of 2020, says that we do not want to cooperate with a country that commits human rights abuses. We decided to pause our military cooperation because we think reestablishing democracy is essential in order to find a long-term solution to the challenges Mali is facing. Andrew Young is, of course, not the famous former mayor and United Nations secretary, uh, U.S. Secretary of the United Nations, Andrew Young. That's a different gentleman. This Andrew Young was the former U.S. Ambassador to Burkina Faso. So he's well-versed in the events of the region and is informed on it. He's currently the Deputy for Civil Military Affairs at U.S. Africa Command. In Nigeria, MTN, the South African mobile carrier, is telling folks that the unrest, the insecurity in Nigeria is going to lead to service disruptions. Why? Well, theft, uh, people stealing things from towers, sabotage, uh, repair folks unable to get out and, and do things in service sites because of the insecurity and the danger. So MTN has warned folks that this insecurity will cause service disruption. 
with about 100 million subscribers, MTN is the largest mobile provider in the largest country in Africa with 210 million residents. Service in Nigeria could be disrupted as a result of rising insecurity in different parts of the country, the local unit South Africa's telecoms group told folks on Tuesday. And speaking of Nigeria, in other news, the United States women's national soccer team has defeated Nigeria 2-0. to zero. Who cares? Summer series. Kristen Press scored at 45 minutes plus extra time, and Lynn Williams scored in extra time after 90 minutes. Congratulations to the U.S. women's national team, a team full of anti-American fascists, bigots, and racists. The U.S. women's national team opens its stadium, the, the Q2 stadium in Austin, with a 2 to nothing win. Both goals scored in stoppage time. In case you're curious about what I'm talking about, look at the lady to the right with the bizarre hair there. That's Megan Rapino, who is an anti-American fascist who took a knee wearing our national colors, disgracing our nation, and lost the right to wear our national colors. But a cowardly, callow U.S. Women's Soccer Federation, the U.S. Soccer Federation, failed to sanction her for her behavior in disrespecting our national anthem. And racist and bigots, Hope Solo and her bigotry and comments against Brazil and the Zika virus during the 2016 Rio Olympics. We could go through the list of malfeasant actors on the women's team who bring disgrace to the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. So U.S. women beat Nigeria 2-0. Who cares? The World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, is begging the United States for 30 million doses of vaccine. This would be the same World Health Organization that's misled us repeatedly throughout the pandemic. Lied to us with this feckless Ethiopian bureaucrat. The WHO has sent a letter to the White House asking it urgently send COVID-19 vaccines to Zambia, Angola, and Zimbabwe. The three countries together, without even looking the information up, I know have less than 5,000 or less than 6,000 total fatalities 18 months into the pandemic. Yet they desperately need 30 million doses, according to Dr. Tedros. As a result of cross-border trade, South African variants are thought to be present in the country's boarding. Thought, not known, not identified, no test to confirm, just thought. The British variant is also widely present in the region, and a few cases of the Indian variant have been detected in South Africa. Now, this is on top of the 500 million doses the U.S. has already promised to provide, the $4 billion we've given to the COVAX facility. The list is endless of U.S. largesse and generosity. Yet Dr. Tedros who led us down this alley with his lies. China's space station, well, space module, now has three astronauts who launched yesterday to get up there. Here we go. Or today, I should say they launched, so they're not quite there yet. China's space station, the Shenzhou-12, delivers first crew to the Tiane module. Very crappy, grainy picture they've got there. Can't they get better IT in China? China has launched three astronauts in orbit to begin occupation of the country's new space station. The three men, Ni Haisheng, Liu Boming, and Tang Hongbo, are to spend three months aboard the Tiane module, 236 miles above the Earth. It'll be China's longest crewed space mission to date and the first in nearly five years. The crew successfully docked with the space station just over seven hours after the launch. Their Shenzhou 12 capsule took off atop its Long March 2F rocket on Thursday. Let's hope the Chinese have a better disposal plan for the Long March rocket instead of letting it burn up in space and putting lives and property in jeopardy like they did with the last Long March rocket. Irresponsible behavior by the Chinese, not new, not surprising, and not sanctioned by anybody. Ignored by the world. Meanwhile, the captured Supreme Court here in the United States has refused to hear a case about the Unaffordable Care Act, uh, the Affordable Care Act, an unconstitutional piece of legislation which mandates health care for Americans, substandard health care, mind you. Never mind the fact that over 20 million working Americans lost their insurance and the lying Barack Obama you can keep your doctor if you want to, in the most famous lie in the opening decades of the century. Supreme Court dismisses challenge to the Affordable Care Act, leaving it in place. 
dismissed a challenge to the Affordable Care Act from Thursday and a decision that will leave the law intact and save health care for millions of Americans. No, it will save substandard health care and provide free care to criminal aliens. The justice has turned away a challenge from Republican-led states and former Trump administration who urged the justice to block the entire law. The justice said the challenges of the 2010 law did not have the right to bring the case. The decision was 7-2. Justice Alito and Gorsuch dissented. Did not have the right to bring the case. I'm sorry. Do not state attorney generals represent our collective needs and desires. Why don't they have standing? Basically, the court is saying they don't have standing to bring this case. This is ludicrous. So who gets to bring it? Individuals? You dismiss those cases too. The U.S. Supreme Court is a captured institution, and they prove it yet again. As long as Chief Justice Fraud Roberts remains the, the, Supreme, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, this captured court will continue to behave in a fashion that makes no sense. Those are the headlines with in-depth news analysis for today, the 17th of June, 2021, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Indaba Africa News of the Day. We appreciate your time, your patrons, and your support as we try to regrow our subscriber base after shameful, disgraceful, illegitimate censorship. Thank you for your time and your patronage.